Oh, whenever I have to send a sermon over to the conference, for instance, this has to be in manuscript. And so that's what we're preaching on today, on today, manuscript sermon, which is something that I really practice a lot of, but it's something that I do enjoy to do once in a while here, but it's, it's for writing, right? It's always, always a lot of writing to do a manuscript uh, sermon. And, and so we've been talking on this series for, for a while, learning how to discern God's will and purpose on lives. And I think this is something that is very important to us as Christians to learn. And yet we often, we, we have often gotten of this gift in which the scriptures were the Bible refers to in First Corinthians chapter twelve ten as the gift of distinguishing between spirit. And we also also read Hebrews chapter five that as we mature beyond the milk of the word and go go on the solid food, that we will be able to grow in our ability to discern good from evil. But this is something that takes takes practice a little bit. And yes, we must all acknowledge that we all, we all come these things to these ideas, ideas of sermon, to these, these decisions with our own biases and our, and our prejudices, especially when it comes to these gray areas of, of the Bible. As imperfect human being beings, we are all affected by our own culture, by our own personal, personal experience, and by the environment in which we grew up in. And this is just the reality of life. The decisions that we make, the worldview that we have, is something that occurs overnight. It's rather a collection of life experiences that, that forms our thoughts and views in our lives. And so although we must do what we can, and we must do this, do this we must do what we can to separate ourselves from these biases and prejudices, focus on the Word of God, we must also acknowledge that at the same time that it's often difficult for us to do so. And without acknowledging these things, it makes it difficult for us to have a, have a constructive discussion and grow as Christians and especially as a church, church family. You know, a lot of times we often have a stereotypical view of certain groups that cause us to fear, fear them. We often hear how Anglos fear minority groups, and Anglos are the majority. We're going to hear more about Anglos in our society than many other minority groups. But, you know, you know, here I am today to tell you the truth, and I'm here to maybe give you a surprise today. And that, that is that, that also many minority groups also have a fear of Anglos. And so, what, you know, I'm not going to lie here today or anything like that, but what I don't, I don't want us to do is, is I, don't, I don't want us to feel guilty about these things. I don't want us to feel guilty about these things because it is human nature. Fear is how humans have dealt with things for thousands of years for the sake of survival. And so once again, like I said, I don't want you to feel guilty about this. I don't want any of us to feel guilty about this. But, but what I want to do is to help us learn, learn to be beyond fear and to grow together so we can build trust and everlasting relationships on us. We know that certain groups do have their, have their own shared beliefs, values, and their own shared views, views, words. It comes from thousands of years of experiences that we've had over, over the span of our own history, our own personal, personal history and cultural history. Guns, right? Guns, and I mean, mean guns are a big, big part of American culture. But as, as a whole, it's not really a, really a part of, of my culture. So that's some, something that we can see that's different between, between two different cultures. In the Hmong community, 
we value the clan structure that helps us interact with others socially and helps helps us deal with conflicts in our own, our own community. We, we are not big on government, okay? At least not, at least not until we get to the United States. Uh, because we, as we feel, we feel that, that the family is the foundation of how a society is to function. And so, and so we, when we talk, talk about things such as, as socialty, it, it doesn't mean that much, much to people or like my parents or someone with a more traditional Eastern worldview. I recently spoke with, with an older uh, Eastern colleague of mine and asked them if he worries about social security that eventually it may run out. This response to me, which surprised me, me because I grew up in, in, in a minority community, this response to me was this, that I have five sons. Each of them going to give me $1,000 a month when I can longer work. So, should I, so, so why should I worry? And, and such things gives us a perspective of how different cultures have different worldviews. And yet, even with certain shared beliefs and values within, within uh, groups, there's also a diverse view of many things. You find any, any two moms worshiping their ancestors the same way. And even here in our, our American culture, we can't even agree on how we're going to interpret the U.S. Constitution. And the, and the point of all this is to show us that we can learn as much as we want about the skill of discernment, but we must also, uh, we must always acknowledge that there are always going to be diversity in beliefs, even when it comes to similar groups. With over 30,000 Christian denominations, that's enough to tell us the diversity of beliefs that we have as human beings. The point here, here, so the point is to be sensitive to each other's experiences. You don't necessarily have to agree, but we can still treat each other, each other as human beings. We don't need to demean one another. We don't need to belittle each other. We don't need to treat uh, th- uh, those agree with as lower class people and so forth. But what we need to do, do what we need to do is, is learn to listen to each other and try to understand one another so that we can grow to get together. And there's many things, I believe, there's many, many things that we can learn from, from each other. And just this last week, I told you how I hate the idea of Mong, Mong had to bow down, you know, on the ground every, every single time someone donates money, right? And I just, you know, I, I, I told you that I have no, have no intentions whatsoever of passing this practice on to my children. I, I don't care what any, any Hmong person say to me. They, many of them, they, they may accuse me of hating the Hmong code. code. They can accuse me of, of not having any Hmong manners, right? They may even say that, I say that I'm a self-hating Hmong, Hmong person. <laughs> but none of that is true. None of, none, none of it is true. I, I just way too, too much work. Just way too much work, and I've seen guys, you know, I've been to, been to funerals and to, you know, wedding ceremonies, and I've seen Hmong guys cramping, doing all this, this, laying on the all cramped up and up and that, and I don't feel that's necessary. So I like the American way. I like the, like the American way, walking up to somebody and saying, thank you. Thank you for your, your donations. And yet, at the same, over the course um this, this series, I don't misunderstand and think that, that what I'm saying here is that tradition is bad. I want you to understand it. That I'm saying that tradition is bad because that's that's not what I'm saying at all. Obviously, not all traditions are bad, and change for for the sake of change is also not always good. I mean, I love I love the traditional sense of family community in the Mongol culture. Something that I hope I can pass on on to children and to their children. 
Yet I know it's something that we're starting to lose as a culture. We're starting, starting to lose as we become more and more westernized. I don't know of any culture that emphasizes something as much as, much as the Hmong community does. It is also how we greet each other on a daily basis when, when we meet one in the Hmong community. We sit there with that person and we trace our family lineage with them. All, all the way far back as we can. We, and they trace this with us until we both find some, some kind of family relationship. And this family relationship could have occurred 200 years, years ago. It doesn't, doesn't matter. We are to find, in this proper Hmong manner, to find some kind of re- relationship somewhere. And so in the Hmong community, everyone is either an aunt, an, an uncle, a nep- nephew, niece, or a cousin. That is the social structure of the Hmong community. And so we say that UMC is a connectional church. It means a totally different thing to Hmongs than it does often to other groups. To Hmongs, being connectional means something that's personal. It's intimate. It's relationship. about family relationship. And to other groups, it can simply simply be organizational. I see, I see this many times when I watch Hmong. I see pastors interact with other pastors during the, during the council meeting, meetings Hmong ministry. Many, many times when the Hmong pastor says, I need to go help this church. I need to go help that church. You know, a, a non-Hmong pastor will always, always respond. But why? What is the point? You have your own church, church, have their own church. But to the Hmong pastor, it's personal. It's about family relationships. Now perhaps I can use more traditions and mainstream culture to illustrate my point here, here that not all traditions are bad. But I, don't want to, I don't want to because we live in a politically correct society nowadays where people tend to throw a fit where there's, whenever it's a disagreement. And so that's, that's unfortunately, that's just, just the extreme Western culture that we live in nowadays. And for me, I just don't want people marching down the streets, closing off freeways, interfering with my life. And, and pressing against me. I st- <laughs> stick talking about Hmong culture. I stick to, stick to talking about Hmong culture. And when gets offended the Hmong culture, it's, it's really not big of a deal. Because what I'm, you know, I'm, you know times when we disagree, we leave it, leave it at that. But what I'm saying here, the point, point of this is that not, not all traditions are bad. And so I, 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 I don't want to misunderstand and think that all, all traditions are bad. That's not the point of this series, series here. But what I want us to do, do, I want us to do, as, as, as discussed before, is that although, although everything is permissible, okay, as the scripture says, as everything is permissible, not every, everything is beneficial. And, and so we've asked ourselves, how do we know, we know if something is beneficial? How do we know if something is beneficial for us? For us? Well, first off, we said that if, that if something is clear in the Bible, we are to obey it. We are to obey the scriptures. So we are building off of that towards gray areas. You can't miss that. This that first must be foundational to faith. So building off of that foundation now, then ask, how do we deal with gray areas and discern God, God's will and his purpose for in these areas? The point we've discussed so far is the first thing, first thing is bringing glory to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, says when you eat or, or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And this is our purpose as, as Christians, are to live for his glory above anything else. That's very hard, hard for us to, because, because even we want to, many times our passions, our desires often outweigh the, the need to glorify God in our own lives. 
And most of the fights that we have in churches, most of the things that divide us has to do with our quarrels and our, uh, our quarrels or passions and our own desires. Yes, necessary. It's necessary to put our faith in the Lord, Lord, and trust that he will, he will guide us even when we continue to fail in these things. We need to keep this, keep this concept of glorifying God in our hearts and our minds at all times. Anytime, anytime you're about to swear at some, someone, anytime you're about to just let someone have it, have it, or when you're ready to write a letter to your, your pastor to some out, and I was just at a meeting with our circuit pastors, and one, and one of them spoke about receiving a letter from his member. And so, yes, this happen, happens in all churches, and not just small churches. But, but anyways, when you're about to do, do something like this, just take a deep breath. And ask yourself, am I glorifying God? God? Am I glorifying God in what I am, I am about to do here? If not, not, let it go. If not, let it go because it's not worth it. You can gain the whole world and win every single battle, but if you, if you lose your soul, what good is it? It's not good at all, so it's best, better to just let it go. Don't be vengeful life. Life is too short for that. Brings, brings the glory to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, do not lose yourselves, most beloved, but leave room God's wrath. It is written, written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, pace as the Lord. Then it goes on, on to 20. On the contrary, it says, as on the contrary, if enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him, him a drink. Our job is to love, love people. We are to love, love as much as we can with the love that Christ has given us. That's how we glorify God and God. Everything else, God will take care of it, of it for us. The world may see you as a fool, fool to love such fool, foolish, but I assure you, it is be- best to be for God than, than to be wise for the, for the things of this world. And so our purpose is, is eternal. Our eyes fixed upon the, the things of heaven, because, because all that the things of this world soon perish. The unseen things of God will last forever. And so since we're alive today and still living, live for him. Always remember to live for his glory. The second point that we talked about is this. How would this affect others? First Corinthians chapter verse 24 says, No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. 32 says, Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, Greeks, or the church of God. Verse 33 says, For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So that's what we're after. That's what we're after. These two are greatest commandments, the greatest commandments that Jesus Christ said. First, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the sense is this, Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so everything that we do is based on these two commandments. Our purpose is to love God, to love people. And if you like this, then you are following Jesus Christ. Often the church has too many rules. rules. Often the church has too many regulations that becomes just a stun block for people, for people and their faith. Though most of the time we may be right with our rules, we may be right with our regulations. We need to be, need to be careful not to become righteous with them. An example, example that's to illustrate this, last week was a wedding that's coming up. A couple here in Oregon have been living together and just found out that they, even, I just found out recently that they, they even a child together before marriage. And here they are, going everywhere trying to find, find a pastor to help them do a wed- wedding, and no one is willing to. They, they called me, and I told them, come, come over, let's just talk about it, and I can help you. And of course, of course, we know that the Bible talks about sex outside the, of the covenant of marriage as sinful. 
I'm not one of these guys that's too far to the, to the right to, that I won't do a marriage ceremony to you or to such, such a couple or too far to the left. I'm going to ignore what the scriptures say to make you feel good. And if you're offended by, by what the scripture says, I really, I really don't know what to tell you because the scriptures were meant offense, but it was, was meant to help us live life to the fullest. But, but just the issue here isn't, isn't about ignoring what the scripture says, and it's, and it's not about ignoring what the scripture teaches us about the, about the secretness of sex. The issue here, here is to help couple here who, here who now desires to move in the right direction. And so in a case such as this, we, we must be willing to have mercy upon them. We must be able to, to give them, and we must be able to love them, and do whatever is necessary in our own, our own power to move them towards the teaching of the scriptures. After all, this is what we are about. After all, it, it is our duty to move people closer to Jesus. To, to Jesus. Then, then the next thing we ask ourselves was this. Does this help us, us grow spiritually? We just don't want to be busy bodies walking all day with, without accomplishing any, anything. Many times politicians in Congress are that way, aren't they? they? Talk so much, but, never, but nothing, nothing ever done. We don't want that, that kind of behavior in the church. We don't want who are all talk, talk and ocean. And we want to see people bearing fruits in their lives and ministry. The next thing we need to ask ourselves is this, are our actions necessary? We start worshiping God and how worship is necessary, but having a band isn't. We fight band, organ, band, organ, band, organ, all the time in the church. We, we fight over whether we should be clapping our hands or whether we should be standing still as we, we worship God. All these things are really not things that we need to fight over. The only thing, thing that we should worry about is whether or not our style of worship is effective in reaching out to those within our community in Jesus Christ. If it is, praise the Lord. It is not something we consider and change. That's all we need to worry about is whether or not we're, we're reaching people Christ. Now to the next part, the part that we have yet to get to this. The, ne- the next question we need to ask ourselves when it comes to discern the will of God is this. Is this action, will this behavior that I take, will it enslave me, me to a habit? Will it enslave me to a sin? By, by enslave, I'm talking about something that is taking a hold of you. It's controlling you in your life that it's almost impossible for you to overcome it. First Corinthians 6 verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Paul is, Paul is saying once again that we, that we can do all things. As Christians, we're free. We can do all things, but we must not allow these things to control our lives. Don't let it gain control of you physically. Don't let it gain, gain control of you mentally. Don't let it gain, gain control of you spiritually. And don't, don't gain control of you emotionally. Galatians chapter 4 verse 8, 8 says, Formerly, when you did not know, not know God, you were slaves to those who nature are not gods. In the scriptures, there is just two worlds. There is just two worlds. Nothing more than that. Now we can we can believe in whatever we want about life. We can be as, as diverse as we want with thousands of views. But the script, scripture boils down to only two masters. Either serving the world or, or you serving God. 
So you're either enslaved by the things of this world, or you are free in Jesus Christ, and there is nothing else. Paul is arguing here in Galatians that we were all once enslaved to the things of this world. These things were not, were not God. We treated them like gods, and we were under their bondage and their control. The Romans, the greatest proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ ever written, says in verse 21 through verse 25, For although they knew God, they either glorified him as God, but gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they, be, they became fools. And, and exchanged glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and, and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sex, sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies for one another. They exchanged the, the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than greater, who is for praised. Amen. You see, all things, all things from all things start from whether we are living for His glory. When we when we have decided that His glory is not important to us, us, that it is not essential, that it is an essential part of our lives anymore, and we start pursuing the things, things of the world, we start pursuing our own desires and our own passions. We are missing out on all the all the blessing God has in store us as a people, as a, as a church. As, as a nation, and we, we end up putting ourselves under the influences of things that control our lives and Lord, Lord over us for the worst. One of the things that Lord over over us drugs. And according to the National Survey on Drug Youth, Use and Health, health 19.7 million Americans aged 12 or older battled a substance use disorder in 2017. Almost, almost 74% from this group, first from a substance use disorder, also struggle with alcoholism. The same study shows that drug, drugs and addiction cost American society more than $740 billion annually in work, workplace productivity, health care expenses, and crime-related costs. And so today, many of our churches, instead of, instead of being a place where people evangelize, Discipled and for Christ, becoming centers for an alcohol recovery. And I understand that there is a need for this, and I am 100% support of these things. But I thought I think a way for us to do is to start discipling our children as soon as possible in the gospel of Jesus Christ to help keep keep them out of trouble so that they don't start abusing in the first place. I'm saying here today that you can be a Christian if you're an addict, and so please don't misunderstand me. But what I am saying here is that I pray. And I pray that you'll learn to discern the will of God for your life. I pray that your children will learn to discern the will of God for their life. To the point that if any of us were ever presented with this temptation in front of us, that we'll be able to make the right decision and not get ourselves into something that will take control of our life for the worst. Another thing that we struggle with is modern technology. It has become a serious addition in our lifetime. For many, it has taken over their lives. Even many times I see pictures of siblings and I sitting around together in a room. I notice that we're all on our phones and none of us is talking to each other anymore. 
this is bad. And sometimes I find myself seeing my kids in the next room instead of just getting up to go talk to them face to face. According to NYU professor Adam Alter, the average millennial picks up his smartphone 150 times a day. And things like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, along with all, all these videos online that we play every single day and we just can't let them go. We're always so excited the next like on our pictures, the next comment that we will be receiving. And so these things have taken on a hold of us. I'll joke around with my wife and tell her all the time, honey, honey, I wish to spend more time with you than I do with my iPhone. So pleasure is also something that controls us. Our society has become no different than eating a hamburger or walking your dog. Many times in our society, it's no, it's no longer sacred. And you can call, call me old-fashioned or whatever, I still view sex as something that's sacred, and it is something to be treasured. Men and women nowadays have tens to hundreds of sexual partners. In old days, we used to have a special word for people, but nowadays, it's the norm. The scripture teaches us, flee from sexual immorality. Every other, every other sin is, is a, every other sin is a man commit it is out his body, but he who sins, sins solely, sins against his own body. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 6 verse 10. The claims to us that our body is the temple of the, of the Holy Spirit, and we are no longer our own. And maybe, maybe, maybe some of us may be offended by this view. Maybe some, some of us may be offended by this view. I had an older gentleman who sat in a group, a group with some minority pastors and lay leaders, and told us that he will never, he will never, ever stay in a church that teaches the biblical of marriage or sexuality. Sensitive to that. I'm sensitive to people's personal opinions, and I have no, no intention argue with people to try, try to change their mind. But what the Bible says, what the Bible says, says and it's my responsibility to quote the scriptures. And it says that we are to flee from sexual immorality. With, with many other sins, it teaches us that we are able to confront it. But with, but with sexual sin, it teaches us to flee from it. The Bible acknowledges how strong this, this addiction takes over our, our lives if we don't get away from it. It can take over our family. It can take over our, our relationships. It can take over our careers. It is estimated that 12 million to 3 million people in the U.S. suffer from some sort of sexual addiction. Even if it hasn't officially been established as a medical condition. Regardless of that, the Bible teaches us that it is something for us to take seriously. And so, and so for today, the question we are to ask ourselves when it comes to discerning the will of God in our lives is this. this. Will, will, this will it lead us into an enslaving and habitual sin? If it does, we are not to participate in it. We have already been set free, Christ. So there is no reason. There is no reason to go any longer to anything that will enslave you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so, so much for your words, words on our lives, Father. Father, Father, there are many things in this life that we find that often enslave us. Father, pray that we will have the power to be able to overcome this. And for all, all those who have been enslaved by some type of sin or some type of behavior, Father, we pray, pray for them. We, we pray that your grace be, be revealed to them and that your power 
is, is given to them that they may overcome these things, Father. It is it's extreme, extremely difficult for us to overcome these things. Things often cause us to be addicted to them. And yet, Father, Father, we trust in your power to overcome these, these things. And Father, we, we lift everyone up to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.